Good morning, and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. Hi, Stacey, back from Hawaii, huh? I am. Good morning, John. Yes, I am. I'm back in North Carolina, uh, spending the week uh, preparing now after my, my very short but very nice trip to see my son in Hawaii. Um, I am preparing for our big HR technology conference event next week. Both you and I have uh, launches of our two big reports next week, and so that's what I've been doing all week. And you've been home as well, right? You're not traveling this week. You're you're doing the same thing, putting the polishing touches on your efforts, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, something like that, or or sweating out the deadlines is probably <laughs> yeah. probably closer polishing to the touches truth. Sounds so much nicer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it, but it doesn't capture the bloodshot eyes part of it. <laughs> No, it doesn't. <laughs> the 2 a.m. Uh, in the morning trying to figure out, you know, which typos are you going to focus on versus not yet. <laughs> yeah, but 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 my report is is it's in production. I saw a draft, a draft finished copy of it the other day. I should see the whole thing maybe tomorrow. Um, and I'm doing three different presentations at HR Tech and looking forward to seeing lots of old friends. Um, it's going to be a busy week. And what are your three presentations on next week, John? Just so so that everyone knows. Well, so it's cool. It's actually very cool. The first one is an orientation to the conference, and and I do this every year. Um, And it's what is HR Tech? What are we doing here? And there are this year there are 145 different sessions that you could go to, Um, and. If you look at the calendar very closely, there are six um, open hours of session time. So you can see, you know, five, six, seven percent of the sessions that are there, and you have to choose. Um, And there are, I think, 475 vendors on the vendor floor, including 72 in the startup pavilion. Uh, and, And guess what? You can't talk to them all. Right, so 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 the orientation is about helping people deal with the volume of opportunity and make rational, strategic choices about what to do. And along the way, um, there's a teeny bit of talk about AI and the current trends inside of the industry, so that you get a sense of what you're seeing out on the show floor. So it's a that's the first one. The second one is. An intro to AI, which is where we talk about what we learned in this year's um, uh, study and report. Um, so basics of basics of AI, and then what's it really look like today? And then the last one, I, I love doing this one. It's a it's a showcase, and and we picked four vendors who represent the extremes of what's possible with with AI, um, and they are. So if you imagine there's a there's a matrix and, and matrix the vertical axis is focus so it goes from suites to point solutions and the horizontal axis is data and it goes from monitoring to managing and we have somebody at each one of the corners of that of that thing so at the top we've got ultimate software um, with their suite um, and their uh, AI everywhere tool. Uh, Xander. At the monitoring end, we've got Keen Corp, which is a uh, trouble spot mapping tool um, for 
looking at communications and getting problems before they turn into problems. Um, at the bottom, we've got Shaker International and their uh, virtual job tryouts and big data project. And at the far end, we've got Swoop Talent, which is a, um, um, a data management operation that also does some sourcing stuff. Right. And so those are the extremes of what's possible. And the session has each one of those companies doing a very short demo, followed by some hardball questions from me. And then and then as a group, we're going to take on a topic for the last 10 minutes of the of the hour. So. That's what that should be a good conversation. Yeah, no, no, that will be a full week of sort of talking about what's happening in the industry as a whole. So very exciting. So people should definitely sign up for it if they haven't already in the various sessions. Why? Um, and then on top of it, I think you said you have 26 interviews, right, demos? I know I've got – I think I, I hadn't counted yet, but after you started telling me how many you had – I think I'm in the range of like 25 or 27 right now. I have to actually go back and get the number, but um, we're, we're at similar numbers as far as the number of demos. Um, mine, I try and keep to half an hour. It's kind of like speed dating on you know, <laughs> the uh, the uh, HR technology vendor space for, for most of us. I had to say no a lot more this year than I've had to in the past. And, and so so there are a bunch of companies that I'm going to talk to after um, the conference. And that's, that's largely because getting to know somebody for the first time in that setting is challenging for me. Um, I think, I think you might, you might feel the same about it. And so, so HR tech really extends into October and November with the, the follow on um, conversations that you can't get to because there's only so much for you to go around. Yeah, last year, because I spread out a lot of my demos, and a lot of them we, we want to get in front of doing the um, the survey uh, remapping work that we do every year when we're, when we're sort of rethinking any questions we want to change. So I usually I end up last year having um, additional briefings that came out of sort of not getting them into HR tech all the way into March of last year. Uh, and I'll probably do the same thing again this year. It's um, it, I think to your point, it's really hard you know, those, those, you know, you're seeing so many faces and so many people at these events that, you know, if you meet them for the first time at this event, it's hard to remember what they're talking about and the topics where, where this, you know, we tend to find that it spends a little bit more time of value if you're sort of talking to someone who you already know, getting a better sense of where they're at, and then getting a little bit more time on a virtual demo, usually about an hour instead of the half hour that we only give everyone at HR Tech. So, yeah, it's – um. But it is a whirlwind. There is no doubt about it. So, we, but we'll be doing our special, you know, post HR technology conference um, radio show that Friday instead of our regular Thursday next week. Um, so everyone should sort of prepare and listen in if you want an update on what's happening at HR Tech. John and I will do it. I think it's um, Friday morning, uh, same time, but um, it'll be on the fourth next week. Correct. That's right. That's right. Actually, I have it at nine thirty. So it's an it's an hour and a half later. Hour and a half later. Okay. Yeah. There you go. So 9:30 in the morning, Friday the fourth, 
listen in. You'll hear about all the exciting things that have happened at the HR Technology Conference if you were not able to attend um, and all the updates that we'll, we'll share with you. Um, it's also been a busy week on sort of just the technology front this week, John. I mean, we've got a lot. There, there's a lot of news um, because of the conference, and some of it's better than others. I always like to look at the, in the various announcements, and we have – Every year, new products that are being officially unveiled at HR Tech. This year, it looks like there's going to be about 80 new products. We'll probably talk a little bit about some of those next week. Um, But we also have some investments that came out this week, Um, some pretty big investments. Um, I don't know if we'll spend a little bit of time talking about each of them, but Checker Fuels um, platform um, got a $160 million investment from T. Rowe Price this week. Week, I thought, wow, that's that's one of the bigger investments we've seen this year. Um, they are a background checking service platform tool technology, depending on what you want to call it. Um, and to talk a little bit about what they're planning to do with that, CDPQ invests 53 million in. I'm not sure if I'm saying this correct. New View, New N E U V O O. They are a job site um, out of the Canadian market, and that's a pretty big chunk of change for a job site at this point. But it's still uh, we're still seeing investments there. And then in the Latin Amer- American market, um, Ravello raised $15 million Series B to help companies source and screen, again, knowledge workers, so another sort of job board type of organization, but focused in the sort of South America, Latin America market. So lots of investments still happening this week. Um, but we also, I think, have a couple of topics that probably are of, of bigger interest into the bigger HR technology conversation. Microsoft starting a new data dignity team uh, to help control their personal data. This is um, being headed up by the CTO's office, Chief Technology Office. And this really, you know, is interesting. It's part of, I think, their data privacy, but it's also part of their sort of ethics conversation. But data dignity, that's the first time I've heard that particular term used. Um, I'd be interested in your thoughts on whether that's just a, another name for the same thing or not. We're also seeing that Google won a fight this uh, week um, to restrict the right to be forgotten ruling to the EU search engines only. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that means. Um, there's some, some details in here that have to deal with sort of where various things begin and end as far as um, the European market, but that was the first time. We're seeing lots of um, GDPR um, uh, lawsuits and uh, conversations taking place against Google. Uh, this is one of the first wins they've had in that space, so it's probably worth uh, mentioning. Um, at the same time, Google, continuing to struggle, um, had a contractor's a group of, of technology contractors in Pittsburgh vote to unionize. Now, we've seen unionization in other tech spaces, but this one I thought was sort of interesting because it was contract workers in a Google environment. So probably it worth a conversation to talk about, you know, are we starting to see this creep up in the technology space or is this um, just a, a matter of sort of where the location was at and the type of organization they're dealing with. Um, and if we have a little bit of time, there was a huge story this week in Fast Company that I thought was quite interesting. Um, the first time I'd seen an organization sort of do um, a big write-up on the PEO, Professional Employer Organizations, um, noting that it's one of the fastest-growing sort of business models in the market. And we haven't really talked a lot about that area much, and so it's worth having a mention because they do – 
a lot of um, not only sort of just hiring and all of the the details for very small companies for their HR environments, but also a lot of the technology decisions for those very small companies too. So, so lots of very interesting stuff going on, even though we're heading into probably the busiest HR tech week of uh, the year that next week. So, what do you think, John? Any of these topics of interest? Oh, they all are. They all are. I, 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 I think that if I want to start with. $160 million of investment going into uh, Checker, right? This is a um, background checking company. It's a screening company. Um, and <clears throat> I, uh, <laughs> you're, you're not speechless on this one, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you, you know, um, um, it'd be really interesting to understand what they're doing with that kind of money. Um, um, and it's legitimate. It's legitimate investors, and they've already raised $150 million, so it's $300 million into a background checking company. This is not the same as background checking in the past. And I don't know anything at all about Checker, uh, but I'm just sort of gobsmacked by, by the idea that a background checking company would be worth a couple of billion dollars, um, uh, which is what the investment means. Um, And they claim to be reducing bias in the hiring process Oh, oh, here's this is a good one. So they continue they will continuously monitor you after you've been hired to make sure that you're still a good woman um um while you're on the job. That's interesting. Well, this gets to and so so one of the things you'll notice is that they Checker talks here about estimating 68 million contingent workers in the U.S. alone. They do a lot of work in contingent workforces, and my bet is that some of this investment is coming out of the gig economy conversation, the Ubers, the Lyfts, the the you know um, Grubhub's, all that kind of stuff, because they're getting hit right now for not keeping up on maintaining background checks on people who are driving people around or managing to bring food to your house or whatever it might be, right? Um, I don't know for sure, but I'm but I'm wondering if that's part of it. Um, the other thing that they noted in here as part of their uh, where they're planning on investing this is to um, improve what they're saying accuracy and fairness while while creating um, their their new products, which again I think goes back to the bias uh, comment they made here, and developing new international capabilities that align with expansion plans of their customers operating globally. Again, I think that. Ex- goes to sort of the gig worker model that ex- that's expanding around the world in multiple areas. Um, I'm interested in wondering how this kind of continuous background checking fits in with the what we just talked about with Google with GDPR and the European Union's requirements about data privacy and owning your own data. Does that mean you own your own data from the background checker as well, right? I you you know I I I think it should, um, um, and I think I think that must be part of the thing. This is this is this is this merits 
some phone calls. Um, yeah. um, I, I'm just so surprised by this. <laughs> well, I think we'll probably be hearing more about it. Um, maybe it's worth a, a stop by the booth of checkers at HR Tech this week. So. <laughs> An opportunity to dig in a little bit and to see what they're planning on spending their 160 million on top of the other 150 million they've already received um, in the next few weeks. <laughs> yep. Are you are you surprised that we're continuing to see investments in job boards? I mean, both the CDPQ and the um, investment in in Nevo or Nevo. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. And Ravello seem to be sourcing in job boards. Is is this just going to continue to be a place where we'll see investments? Uh, again, probably the same standard yeah, thing yeah, we see in other ones. Idea, the idea that the job board is dead and and not not a vital part of of the business is silliness. Right? <laughs> if, if if you walk into the heart of my little town, I, li- I live in an agricultural town of ten thousand people, and in the heart of town there are cork bulletin boards tucked in grocery stores and um, um, uh, in the entryway to restaurants and stuff like that where the locals go and those cork bulletin boards are full of 3 by 5 index cards that have uh, people looking for work and people looking for people to do work right? that's, that's the original job board um, and and there have been job boards like that in towns for as long as there have been people in towns. Um, yeah. uh, and and the the thing is that that there's no company who's good enough. You know, if, if the if the local um, Japanese fashion boutique um, wants to hire two salespeople. They, you're not going to know who they are, <laughs> you know. You're you're not going to know who they are. So they need some central place to go advertise, and that's the function of job boards. And um, Google is interesting because it accumulates all these jobs, and Indeed is interesting because they accumulate all these jobs. But they've got this overwhelm factor that that inhibits their utility. Right, you, yeah. it's it's like there's a volume of jobs you can have in your database, and after that volume of jobs, it gets harder and harder for somebody who's looking for work to use you. Yeah, and, uh, and this uh, is a space where niche players and niche players in particular regions or industries or types of work seems to to actually be a, a better sort of. Uh, a better way to to look for something, right, than a a massive open-ended sort of job board that has everything and everybody in it, right? Yeah, I think think that the global economy can probably sustain 75,000 job boards. Yeah. Um, Because of exactly that, that, that job boards are at their heart the intersection of region, industry, and size of business, or something like that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so there are 75,000 niches like that around the planet. 
And and there's always going to be a need to say, oh, well, if I get to the bigger database, I'll have a broader view, and that might make sense for someone who's interested in traveling across the country or changing industries or changing jobs. But I think, you know, it, it, that gets back to what the job seeker's looking for, not so much to some extent what, you know, I think every company would love to have a single job board that they would su- subscribe to, but that's not the way the, the world works. And it's the job seekers that you're really trying to find in this particular arena. That's your your wealth of information, basically. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, so investments in job boards, investments in background checking, um, and screening in Latin America is the next one. Same topic. Same topic. Yep, that's the Revlo with 15 million Series B. Um, again, nothing. I think these are not uh, again. Same same thing, regional job boards. I think the, the, the probably the bigger conversation this week, if we can get into it, is this interesting um, component that I read from Microsoft about the new data dignity team that could help users control their personal data. So Microsoft is supposedly staffing up. Of course, Microsoft had no comment on this article. So, um, And this is the only place I've heard of it is one article where a lot of times I'll <laughs> – source multiple contents and topics and conversations, you know, and figure out the, the, the best points on each of them. This one I hadn't heard anybody else, anyplace else, but I thought it was well worth having a conversation about. The data dignity team is um, supposedly in the CTO's office, uh, and it could help users control their own personal data, ultimately to the point of buying and selling it. Now, Microsoft is staffing this team up. Um, the team is researching ways to give users more control of their personal data, and they're thinking about it as how they might enable them to buy and sell it to third-party entities. So this is a whole new concept. Now, me and you have talked about the value of personal data, right, the importance of that, and how HR organizations eventually could get to a point where they could, on some level, possibly take access of their employee data and sell it at an aggregate level, obviously not an individual level. Um, nobody that I know of is doing that at this point, but I think that's sort of what Microsoft is coming up with here at some level, or at least starting to talk about um, at a consumer level and probably an enterprise level. What do you think about this? So, so I think this is this is a very clever, long way to avoid saying blockchain. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> right. There's. There are so many little projects, and, and and some of them include work with people I really enjoy, um, um, trying to figure out how to get people's credentials into a single database, right? And so, so right underneath this data dignity thing mm-hmm. is data accuracy, right? So, so this is actually yeah. frosting on the cake of $160 million going into a background checking company. <laughs> It is, yes. It's a very right. good point. Very good connection, yeah. Right. This is this that's that's what this is and, and so the question is can they do it? Right? And and I'd be tempted to say, remember last week we talked about the high Q lawsuit. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that 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 LinkedIn lost at the appellate level. I think they'll take it to the Supreme Court. But this is like plan B for, for LinkedIn. Right. Remember, LinkedIn. This is this is. It's all about Jaron Lanier, who is this amazing, visionary, dreadlocked, sixty-year-old um, who 
who thinks all sorts of crazy stuff, but it's his play to have control over LinkedIn. Uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> because LinkedIn would obviously form the foundation. Um, and so, so what Microsoft is doing here is they're saying, oh, after all of these years of selling people's data on LinkedIn, maybe we're going to give them a slice of the money. <laughs> or maybe this will be a way for us to actually control the data scraping by giving them access um, and and now actually making this a so so you know it, it's it's funny when when I think about you know you know oil and gas or any kind of product where you know you used to make money off the product itself and then all of a sudden what really started making you money was giving people sort of the the tool to get the product themselves and use it themselves right and my sense of this is that Microsoft's going down the road of well eventually we are going to get to a situation where every individual is going to understand the value of their own data. So we can't keep just using their data for free because they're going to stop giving it to us for free. But what we can do is create the tool that will that they can use to decide who they want to give their data to and charge them for that you know, value, for the, for the ability to be able to do that in a single platform. That's my sense of this. And you're right, blockchain, they specifically have that they're calling um, – uh, the private testing, as of January, they said, is, is it's a new personal data bank which puts users in control of all the data collected about them. So this isn't about having access to free money; it's about having access to the to the banking location for it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 uh, I think it's delightfully arrogant to, for Microsoft to say that they can control all of the data that users give people. Mm-hmm. Isn't that isn't that isn't that marvelous? Like. <laughs> Okay, we're going to go back to the 90s when all there was was Microsoft and you had to go through us to get things done and we're going to come up with a new way for you to have to go through us to get things done. <laughs> to get, well. So, yeah, yeah. I remember <laughs> back in the day when Microsoft was a big deal. Um, <laughs> when Internet Explorer was the only browser you could use. Yeah, right yeah, these, these, yeah. These, are, these are these are the fantasies of an old company. Um, um and um you you know there's 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 a problem here, but my sense is it's going to solve very differently. Have you seen the you you have an iPhone, yeah? I do. Yes, that is that is my my phone of choice. There's a switch in the new iPhone operating system that allows you to send every phone call that you don't recognize the caller to voicemail. So if they're not in your contacts, you just click this one switch. And it all goes to voicemail. They are blocked from ringing your phone. Um, that kind I did not of know thing. That. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Um, a little dangerous because it means you can't <laughs> talk to anybody who's not in your bubble. Gonna, but yeah. <laughs> but that's the beginning of of control. The beginning of control is saying no, right? And so, so. Um, the, the funny thing about this idea of data dignity is it doesn't begin with saying no. It begins with saying yes to Microsoft. Exactly. Uh, and, and and the truth is, if you want to control your personal information, it starts with saying no. Um, and Apple is enabling that. Um, Google has enabled a little of that in their voice products. Um, but but I, think, I think saying no will... Um, be the next thing, 
And the thing after that might be discretion in saying yes, but it's not a we go from saying yes all the time to saying yes, but you got to talk to my broker, Microsoft, first. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the broker concept is probably the better analogy for it. It it definitely feels like that's the direction that Microsoft is trying to go. And I would agree. I, I think that that's the first step has to be getting control of your data, which I think goes to maybe the last conversation today, which is this European Union um win, I guess you call it that for Google, Google winning the fight to restrict the right to be forgotten ruling in the EU search engines. So this one, I, I, was, I was trying to make sure that I sort of understood this, but um, the the ruling, I guess, is based off of um, actually some, com- uh, some rulings that were done back in 2014 about um, sort of how people can be delisted on web pages and companies. So it goes back to to things that go, you know, so before the GDPR um, law was put into place, but it, the idea here, it looks like, is that um, uh, Google in Europe um, uh, has the ability to basically um, not abide by the right to be forgotten rule when it's outside of the EU search engines. So. This, to me, sounds like it's the start of, you know, regional privacy standards and regional technology maybe even, right, to be required to, to, to hold up to the GDPR laws. Am I reading that correct, or, or is that incorrect? I don't know. The way I, the way I read this one is, is the French um, um, overreached and said, under French law, if somebody in France asks to be forgotten, you have to forget them in all countries of the world. Yeah. And Google said, no, no, we have to forget them in France. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we don't have to forget them. You, you're not the boss of me everywhere else. Um, and so, so it's, it's, it's a win for Google, but it's not a big win for Google because it doesn't say – you don't have to forget them in France. It says that Google Google is on the side of the devils here because they're saying if you want control of your personal data and you're French, you need to be able to understand where else in Google's bunch of stuff you are registered because they have weaseled their way into having uh, country-specific search engines that are not governable by um, a specific country's law. Right. And well, so, and that, yeah. Isn't that so the, the gist of it? That's exactly, which means that so, <laughs> and I, I again, this gets beyond my technical capability, but I think this is definitely a conversation to have some of them or, or um, some of our vendors here in the HR tech space, which is, is this about where the servers are located, which I don't think is the answer there, but it, but it seems to be there is a bit about where the data is located, or is this about, you know, the software being used and where that software is originating from, right? Um, so, so there's sort of two places where you can house data and where it can be streamed from and through, right? So, and I don't know that I have an answer on that based off of reading this. It seems very, very hard to, and because a browser, uh, you know, is a browser is a browser if you're using it, but I guess there are regional locations where the data is kept, correct? 
Well, I think there are re- sort of regional access points. So when we go to Singapore and, and Google stuff in Singapore, it Googles local stuff in Singapore. Yeah. Right. And 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 the domain. I don't know where the server is, but the domain um, is constrained to Singapore. Um, and so what they're saying is if if there's something you want removed from Google and you're French, and uh, you can you can send a note to Google dot French um, Google dot France and they'll take care of it. But that doesn't do you any good. If yeah. So when you step out of France, you're stuck there. Google dot Singapore. Gotcha. Right? Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. So so what Google has done here is. Um, made it impossible for people to keep their data private. So this is the opposite of what Microsoft is trying to do. Um, um, and um, um, both of them are probably the efforts of older companies to try to deal with something that's not going to be what they think. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the new generation of data ownership will be the conversation, I think, that everybody will be talking about. Um, and every company's going to have to figure out how to deal with it. But uh, I guess we'll be getting more of that. It'll be interesting to see how the companies at HR Tech are handling these conversations this week. And, um, yeah, we'll we'll get a chance to hopefully meet some of the people who listen to the show out on the floor next week. And if anybody has any comments or questions about the radio show or anything that we talk about, please stop us as we're running through the halls of the HR Technology Conference. We're happy to have a chat. So it's been a good week, John, and looking forward to seeing you in person next week. Yeah, yeah, I'll wave to you as we fly by (laughs) each other next week. Exactly. (laughs) Okay, so thanks for tuning in, and thanks for doing this, Stacey. It's always a treat, another great conversation. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. We'll see you back here next week. Bye-bye now. And thanks. Thanks.